Hey, it's January 30th, 2022 at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. And so the red-headed preacher, Richard Lanford, that's me, I'm going to be preaching a sermon about our annual congregational meeting. But And so the sermon is called The Sermon Before the Meeting. But I believe that this message will speak to those who may have nothing to do with St. Peter's or their congregation's annual meeting. Um, so I, I believe this will still be worth a listen if I do say so myself. The scriptures are going to be read by Carolyn Van Til. They are from Jeremiah chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 13, and Luke 4, verses 21 through 30. And I will be tying in each of these passages and talking about call and talking about how we do what God calls us to do and how Jesus did that in, uh, in Luke. And so, please join me in a brief moment of prayer. Merciful God, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, we humbly ask the movement of your Spirit as we listen, even as we have to hit pause or whatever, May your spirit move that we will hear what you want us to hear and that we may be built up in our faith and the practice of it, that we will be a light and an encouragement to other people. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen. And now without further ado, as I so often say, here we go with Carolyn and the the first of our readings. Our first reading is Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. This is God's call to Jeremiah to be a prophet. (laughs) Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, not say I am only a boy for you shall go to all whom I send you and you shall speak whatever I command you do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you says the Lord and then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said to me now I have put my words in your mouth see today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down to destroy and to overthrow to build out and to plant This ends the reading from Jeremiah. Our epistle lesson is the familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul has been writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as knowledge and speaking in tongues, but then says, I will show you a still more excellent way. It begins this chapter on the gift of agape love. Paul wrote, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, and do, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only, only, only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When, as, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have fully known, have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Will those who are able please stand up for the reading of the Gospel lesson? The Gospel lesson picks up from where it left off last week. Jesus had read from Isaiah 61 and 58 about being anointed by the Lord to bring good news to the poor, to set at liberty the oppressed, etc., and said that this scripture was now fulfilled in their hearing. Here is what today's passage begins. <clears throat> When Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And he said, This is not Joseph's son. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown thing, the things we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens were was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe, severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And there were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the cliff on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Here ends the reading from Luke and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God give us a faithful and delightful understanding of this, God's word of hope, for people looking for hope and those who are reflecting hope. Many of you remember when I was a religious volunteer at Cook County Jail. I helped lead Protestant chapel services for Protestant chapel services first for Division Five, and then for Division Ten, a maximum security unit, from 1985 to 2004. There was one month-long stretch in August when uh, we showed up from our various places, we volunteers, and no one showed up for the service. No prisoners were brought from their cell blocks to the chapel for four weeks in a row. No one told us anything. It was a 45-minute trip each way for me, and for four Wednesdays, I and the others from our various places showed up and waited, and waited, and waited. No one telling us anything. 
There were other days when we held chapel, but it was a constant struggle to maintain control during the service, especially in the last couple of years. Why did I keep showing up? Well, I kept going because I believe I had been called to do that since after my middler year at seminary when I was a student chaplain at Trenton State Prison as my field education. When you feel that God has called you, you do not let uncertainty, risk, or inconvenience stand in your way. You are responding to a higher calling. That does not mean calls are forever. I'm grateful to a colleague, Jose Laluz, who once told me, well, God's call can change. It did for me in 2004 when I stopped going to Division 10. And it did for me also in 1992 when God through St. Peter's changed my call to leave St. Nikolai UCC in Chicago and come here. And we heard God's powerful call to Jeremiah in today's first reading, and that call was upon his whole life. It was a call to be a prophet to God's people, which I think is not only what you do, but who you are. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Do not say, I'm only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. Thus Jeremiah was introduced to his purpose in life which also came with God's promise to deliver him. It gave him a career we remember by dubbing him the weeping prophet as he wept for his people. A call, a purpose, a compass for the direction of life. Well, this is, as the title indicates, the sermon before the meeting, the annual congregational meeting. In your annual reports, there is a report on strategic planning initiatives it is an overview of what we at the council level have done to gather information on options for St. Peter's given our circumstances of costly building repairs, meeting our budget, decreasing revenue and membership. That's all I'll say on that other than to acknowledge and thank you for the great year-end giving last month which helped us enter or conclude that year in the black. What I believe must be the foundation behind our discussions during and about these initiatives is this. Our calling as a congregation in this time and in this place. What is our purpose? What is our mission or missions? For when you and I have a handle on that, we will be more firmly grounded and guided in our decision making. It's along the old lines of form follows function, but as a church we add faith to this, too. Faith in the God who has called us here since 1867 and has been faithful through and through. One of the places we went for knowledge about our options is Partners for Sacred Spaces. And before that Zoomer, I was in on a different presentation by one of their staff at the fall meeting of the Chicago Metropolitan Association, also a Zoom meeting. 
at that presentation, where so many of their offerings and sets of resources were laid out for planning and putting together, depending on where congregations were and what they were looking for, it was underlined to the people like me participating in this Zoom meeting, it was underlined that before embarking on those journeys, the congregations or the organization's purpose had to be discovered if it hadn't been, stated, affirmed, and from that flowed the decisions that were made and the directions which were pursued. In our gospel, Jesus' exposition on the Isaiah passage and presenting his fellow Jews with their own scriptures is surely an example of Jesus responding to his call despite the fury fomented against him. God calls and God equips the called. God promised Jeremiah that God would put into Jeremiah's mouth what God wanted him to say. There's an old saying, God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Wherever, excuse me, whatever we affirm our purpose or purposes to be, if they are indeed of God, God will equip us and qualify us. Now I appreciate the fact that Jen Schneider put at the top of her report on the initiatives our Constitution's statement of our objective as a congregation. This also serves us well to reclaim our open and affirming covenant. If you've been on council during my pastorate, especially in the last few years, and heard my opening prayers there, you'll know that I frequently ask in the prayer that what we do is pleasing in God's sight, and also that how we do it is pleasing in God's sight. It's not just what you, I, or St. Peter's undertake as God's will, but God also has desires for how we carry that out. How do we live into or, and live out our calling, both as individuals and as a congregation? How? That's where our epistle passage comes in. That lets us know to do things with agape. Paul said, and remember as Carolyn said, earlier he was talking about speaking in tongues and prophesying and stuff. And now he refers to that and he said, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels speaking in tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and all knowledge and understand all mysteries, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And, if, and, he, and he lists uh, martyrdom as another instance, another distance that he could go, and if there is no love with it, he gains nothing. In other words, you and I got to have agape or it's all for naught. Now you and I know that agape love is not feelings-based. I'm not saying it is without emotional content, but doing what's best for the beloved, and especially perhaps if the sacrificial love is particular, particularly sacrificial, then we can understand that deep love goes there anyway, despite our emotions. 
I do not think there were any warm and fuzzy feelings when Jesus was whipped and then nailed to the cross, but agape love was in full throttle right there to save us. When you and I and churches make sacrifices out of our love, it's easier to do when we believe we are following God's call to us. Jeremiah had a painful life which ended outside of Israel. He certainly got furious with God at times. There are passages where he rails at God and the English does not do justice to the rawness of the Hebrew. But he did not abandon his purpose. He talked about it, he thought about it, he wished that he could. He said he was going to, but he did not. Agape love meets calling from God, motivating what we do and how we do it. And world, watch out. So we got to have agape love or we're just fooling ourselves, not God. Love. Love is patient. And love is kind. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Those are the positive things Paul lists, what love is. And I'm not going to get into what he says about what love is not, like arrogant or rude. These are the positive things, and this fits into the how you and I and Christ's church do God's will. Patiently, with kindness, truth, and more. Love is patient. Until time comes when love has to become impatient urgent, even demanding for wrongs to be righted at last, long suffering to be ended, helpful legislation to be passed, or forgiveness displayed. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a book published in 1964 called Why We Can't Wait, which included the words, there comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. Understanding that this has often been and can sometimes be the case. Let's sit with love being patient for a bit. The Greek word Paul used for patience here is makrothume or makrothumia. Makrothumia. This is a compound word loaded with meaning. The word macro means long or far. The word thumia, or thumia, means anger or wrath. Putting the words together, the literal meaning is long anger. Now we know the English term is short-tempered. That term, by way of contrast, helps us understand macrothumia. In our context today, with life's delays, and those that God puts before us, as is it, you are in a hurry and God is not. It means that those things with makrothumia do not make us angry or upset. Patience. As a result of makrothumia or long-temperedness, we do not strive inwardly because of those frustrating people or things. Emotionally about this we are, as John Ortberg said, to be at rest. We also do not strive outwardly, Ortberg said, behaviorally. We act clear-headedly and calmly. Love is macrothume, 
patient. It's a cardinal virtue. I had the experience of watching either, I'm not sure which one I thought it was in, the Three Musketeers or the Four Musketeers, the Michael York, Oliver Reed, Richard Chamberlain version. And I remember being introduced to the term in it, cardinal virtue, when Chamberlain's Aramis said to a cardinal's guard, patience is a cardinal virtue, just before he either attacked him or ran him through. Oh, so I learned something. Patience is a cardinal virtue. Years and years later, watching the movie again on the DVDs we bought, I waited for it to come up again, and I never heard it. So, I still learned that patience is a cardinal virtue. <laughs> I'm just not sure where I heard it. It's true that in some schools of thought, patience is not one of the four traditional cardinal virtues, but it is one of the seven virtues. Anne-Marie Mullane taught me over the internet that the description of patience as a virtue is a quote from a poem by William Langland, a buddy of Geoffrey Chaucer in the 1360s. To quote John Ortberg again, patience is a cardinal virtue. Unfortunately, it's not an inherent virtue. We have to acquire it. Well, I do think that some persons are more naturally patient somehow or were nurtured early on into becoming that way. I think the same thing about forgiveness. I think some folks forgive more easily and truly than those who hang on to grudges for a very long time. Now maybe that's a result of nurture also. Talk about patience. Nurturing takes patience. Some others, fathers and grandparents can be prodigiously patient although it might not be recognized by the beneficiaries until years and years later down the road. That patience is out of love, but probably also was refined in the fire of experience. Since most of us have to acquire it, and it is, it's a grace gift from God, it's one of the gifts of, of agape. Most of us have to acquire it. I read a little bit in that sermon by Ortberg from 2017. He talked about having some perspective, talking about patience. He talked about having some perspective, realizing that some developments are only going to grow one step at a time, one day or month or whatever at a time. Spiritual growth is a perfect example. Spiritual growth is not instant coffee or something we put into a spiritual microwave. It takes time. As my home church minister said, trust the cumulatives. I recall Ortberg lifting up someone who had lost like 75 pounds, saying something like, I could never get off the ground thinking about 75 pounds fast or all at once. It was an impossible way to approach it, an unreachable goal. But I figured out I should not think about it like that, losing 75 pounds in an unreasonably unhealthy short period of time, but rather work it as losing one pound. 75 times in a row, one at a time. That is patience born out of perspective and inspired by a sacrificial self-love. Another way I've worked on my patience is with the serenity prayer. While driving, usually, especially the first words, God grant me the serenity 
Grant me, it's, I need it. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I cannot change the fact that that moron did not use his turn signal to show he was pulling from the curb into traffic right in front of me. Or I cannot do anything about the car two or three vehicles up who refuses to drive the speed limit. So I calmed down. I used to get so wound up. Now I calm down and it gets just a little easier each time. Can't change it. Just calm down. Be patient. My fuse gets a little longer. Another thing, and I'm coming close to the end, another thing I'm working on is letting people finish a sentence. Don't interrupt to show how much I know or think I know or to ask a question that really can wait because they'll probably answer it if I let them finish. I'm not a finished product for sure, but I'm trying to keep my mouth closed and grant the person speaking the respect of letting her finish. Love is patient and kind. It rejoices in the truth. It never ends. Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is agape because it informs our purpose. It drives our motives and shapes how we do what we do. I could preach a sermon on patience alone, but time is up. So at our meeting, let us seek a sense of God's calling if needed, and let us fulfill God's will lovingly, patiently, even as we also have urgency upon our shoulders. Amen. I hope you found the conversation about patience, if nothing else, helpful and something to think about, something to put into practice if that's something that uh, speaks to you as it does speak to me. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm appreciative of all who tune in, whenever that is. And next week, the message will also probably be attuned to what's going on at St. Peter's. Next Sunday is going to be February 7th, I believe the date is, February 7th. And it's Installation Sunday, as well as Communion, which means those persons elected at our annual meeting to serve on boards or as officers will be installed into those positions during the hybrid service of worship. So let's look forward to that. And may God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen.